You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. I seek refuge with Allah from Satan the accursed. In the name of Allah, the gracious and merciful, peace be upon you. Good morning, and welcome to the breakfast show of the Voice of Islam with Imam Tawqeet and Weir, Imam Farid Ahmed, and myself, Farid Ahmed. The time is three minutes past seven. It's Friday, the 23rd of September, 2022. As always, we have a very packed program this morning uh, on The Breakfast Show. It's an interactive broadcast. It means that uh, our listeners have the opportunity to ring in if they want to and share their views with us. The number to dial is 0208-687-7878. Or they can use the more modern method of Twitter and tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. In a few minutes' time, we'll be uh, uh, beginning the rundown of the weather before going on to examine some of the news stories that are doing the rounds these days. I uh, won't be pondering too much uh, uh, on each, uh, trying to get through as many as possible uh, in the first half hour. If you want to have your say, as mentioned, uh, 0208-687-7878 is the number, and the Twitter handle is Voice of Islam UK. Uh, those familiar with the show will know that we have two main topics that we normally deal with in some detail. The first is a topic very much in keeping with uh, what has been happening in the last two weeks, which is the uh, accession of King Charles to the throne and following the funeral of uh, Queen Elizabeth II. Uh, Although uh, the king's role is uh, very much restrictive, uh, Charles as prince was able to express his views on issues more freely in the past. So the question we are exploring uh, as our first main topic is this. Uh, King Charles... Uh, what are his views on Islam? Uh, this is something we picked up from one of the websites, in fact, it was the Al Jazeera website. Uh, and we'll be discussing the subject with Imam Rahil Ahmed, he's uh, from the History Department. And we also hope to be joined by uh, Imam Ibrahim Noonan uh, from Ireland. Um, so uh, if you're interested in this particular topic, King Charles, what are his views on Islam? Do make sure you're tuned in from 7.30 to quarter past eight when we'll be exploring that particular item. Moving on to the second main topic, it's related to our eating. Uh, it's relating to, yes, our eating and exercise habits and the differences that exist particularly between men and women. According to one research, women are more obese than men. Experts says genes and hormones uh, are contributors. This is the title of the second of our main uh, topics. And uh, we'll be looking at that um, with the help of uh, Professor Amtul Razak Carmichael, MD. She's uh, a cancer cancer surgeon, uh, um, one that has contributed uh, a lot to research, has had uh, many articles published in uh, academic journals. He is also in charge of the research cell at the Amdiya Muslim Community and editor and on the editorial board of the Review of Religions. So uh, um, a very welcome guest uh, to uh, to lend her expertise on this particular topic. So lots to do, lots to cover. And as always, we shall have a full review of the Islamic angle from... Uh, two Imams, Imam uh, Tokir Ahmed and Imam Farir, uh, Farid Ahmed, so double helping in that, re- that regard. So without further ado, let me pass it on to the experts. All for to you, Imam Tokir. Assalamu alaikum wa Hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, for once again for the warm welcome, as you always do. 
Um, so as you mentioned, uh, the weather. So we'll start off the uh, news roundup with the weather. So the forecast for today, the this from BBC Weather today will be dull and overcast with outbreaks of rain for most of the day, which may be heavy at times, and it will turn drier for many towards the evening. But a few spots of rain will linger in places, and the forecast for tonight. Um, it will stay mostly cloudy with a few spots of rain in places through the night. Cloud will clear to the south to leave plenty of spell, clear spells and there will be gentle northerly breeze. So if, if there are listeners out there who are about to leave or getting ready for work, make sure that you do maybe have a raincoat with you or an umbrella um, as the forecast is that it will be outbreaks of rain. So uh, be mindful mm. of that. The summer is gone. Summer, summer is mm. uh, summer is gone. We were into that winter period mm. now, slowly creeping in. Yeah. So just, okay. just preparing for that, especially nice. especially with the I think uh, one conversation that um, certainly uh, I think a lot of people are having even at workplaces with regards to the gas prices, um, because uh, during the winter that's where we need uh, the heating the mm. most, right mm. and um, I mean, this this one issue as well. That what's what's the cost going to be, or how much would they be able to afford it? So I mean, it it, it is um, a topic as well, which yes. uh, which is yes. uh, which is quite discussed. Yes, it's very worrying, um, and uh, there is uh, what is it? Um, heating or eating uh, is a choice that some people are facing, and it's uh, of great concern. So we have a have a fixed fiscal event later on. Today, today, so we'll be seeing how that unfolds. Uh, have you got any news that uh, you've uh, found interesting that um, you want to uh, share? Yeah, sure. Um, did you manage to? Uh, are you a fan of cricket yourself? I no, I heard on the news that Pakistan uh, beat England today. Uh, yeah. Um, oh no, sorry, yesterday. Uh, yes. Um, surprisingly. Uh, was it without losing a wicket? Uh, they they didn't lose uh, one wicket. Um, so the 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 target that they had to chase was uh, they they had to chase about uh, two hundred runs, uh-huh. and uh, they they did that without losing a single wicket. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so one of the two batsmen that were playing at that time was uh, Babar Azam and uh, Rizwan. So uh-huh. those were the main openers and. Uh, uh, they, they, it was an exceptional performance, and uh, one of the news art- articles, which is, um, which it, the, which we can get a little bit more onto insight into this, um, it says that Pakistan versus England, the second T20. So Moin Ali, uh, he makes 23 uh, balls unbeaten. Uh, he made 55. Babur and Rizwan. Uh, put a record of T20 partnership of 203 to win by 10 wickets. Mm. So just a little gist on this. It says that <clears throat> the opening match of this series failed to live up to the occasion, but uh, the second was a better. A terrific uh, raccoon's atmosphere in the national stadium must have echoed right across this a uh, mega city of 13 million souls as Pakistan chased down 200 without losing a wicket. So the sponsors pledged a thousand US dollars for every six 
to the country's flood relief fund, so there was an upside to England's bowlers' pain as they were flagged to all part on a night of high-scoring fund that raised eighteen thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. Eighteen thousand dollars. Ah, okay. So a, a one-legged swearing uh, dervish holding the Pakistan flag in one hand. Uh, his crutch and the other whipped up the crowd and the stadium. Uh, they chanted Babur, Babur as <laughs> Pakistan captain and uh-huh. Mohammad Rizwan set a new record for a run chase, smashing the previous uh, biggest 10 wicket win by 31 runs. And I mean, because the reason why this is so significant is because uh, UK, uh, the England team themselves have come to Pakistan after a really long time mm. um, so that itself you know it makes it a significant because you know the uh, the situation wasn't that great in Pakistan so after mm. a, such a long time now that UK has come it's it's very very good especially for, for the crowd mm. Mm. Do you think um, T20 is really a measure of skill it's very hit and miss isn't it and luck uh, uh, it's. I mean, it's, it's in terms of uh, in terms of uh, the spectator tears. I think it's a lot more interesting, a ah. lot more quicker for fifty over match. Mm. Um, it, it, you know, it, it sometimes do tend to get boring as well. But T uh, Twenty is something new, and uh, I think it's uh, it's become very uh, popular, right. um, especially amongst uh, a, a lot of new fans as well now because of T Twenty. They've started to watch um, cricket. Mm-hmm. Anyway, moving on, um, I, I think the uh, one of the events that we uh, touched on that is going to be uh, interesting to uh, keep an eye on is something that's going to be taking place later on today. Is the fiscal event? It's uh, this is a statement that the new chancellor is uh, expected to make um, to identify uh, the vision of uh, the new government that has come into place under. Uh, the new Prime Minister Liz uh, Truss as to how it plans to deal with the country's finances. Uh, although the com- government is reluctant to call it a budget, uh, it is anything but uh, a full-fledged, uh, full-fledged budget. Its approach has been telegraphed beforehand as doing everything to strengthen the economy and create what uh, is described as a larger cake instead of worrying about how to distribute the cake, uh, uh, so to speak of revenue received into in uh, into government uh, coffers cutting taxes uh, scrapping the uh, one and a quarter percent in national insurance and abandoning the increase in corporation tax from 19 to 25 percent is widely expected the cutting of stamp duty is also on the cards to help first-time buyers uh, in the housing market and is likely to boost the housing market if nothing else um, it is not described as a as a budget because otherwise uh, the Office of Budget Responsibility, an independent uh, entity, an independent think tank, would have to issue <coughs> its take on the measures uh, undertaken from a objective uh, from an objective perspective. Um, <coughs> there has been much criticism of this approach. Um, I'm talking about the wider approach of making the cake bigger, uh, as has been described, uh, because it's said that it will enrich those in the upper sectors of society and not those on the lower end. 
reducing the rate of na- tax on national insurance, for example, is going to be of, uh, of no benefit to the thousands who earn such a pittance that they do not even meet the threshold where they start to pay tax in the first place. And reducing taxes, it's argued, is going to be inflationary at a time when the Bank of England is fighting to clamp down uh, on inflation by raising interest rates. Um, So this is a criticism, but defenders of the government, and we have to have a balance when we are presenting any story, I suppose, uh, on the Voice of Islam being a non-political organization, non-political broadcaster. Uh, But defenders of the government say that this is the right way to go. By growing our economy, we'll be able to uh, have more to spend on the poor, uh, we'll have more to spend on our NHS, and we'll have more to spend on our future. Are they right? Uh, what do you think? If you have a view on this, do please call in 0208687787. is the number, or you can tweet us at the Voice of Islam UK. Farisa, uh, have you got anything uh, that you want to share with us in terms of news? Um, I can rattle on if you want. Um, there is another story, of course. Uh, the, the main story, I suppose, early this week was um, that was with uh, what happened on uh, on Monday. The, the Queen was finally put to rest as she was interred at St George's Chapel, Windsor Castle, on Monday evening in a private ceremony attended by just the close members of the uh, royal family. This brought to uh, a conclusion to an elaborate series of events dubbed as Operation Unicorn and London Bridge uh, that started off on Thursday, 8th uh, September, with the passing away of the Queen, our longest-serving monarch of over 70 years. Uh, Earlier during the day, uh, that day of the burial, 2,000 guests, including heads of states, had gathered in Westminster Abbey for the funeral. Thousands beforehand had queued up uh, in a line that stretched up uh, for up to five miles, people say, to pay their respects uh, to the Queen as she lay in state. Some waited for more than 13 hours to do so. And among uh, those who paid their respects were members of the Abdi community as well. Uh, the Imam of the London Mosque was uh, also observed to have uh, paid his respects uh, at, this, uh, at this hour. Uh, there uh, was widespread uh, coverage of the event on most channels and tributes poured in for the departing monarch. His Holiness as uh, His Holiness as the head of the Amdiya Muslim Committee also sent a message of condolence uh, as, as as well. Um, one other story that I think can be shared is about uh, what is worrying us in Europe, uh, Russia on the back foot. Uh, worrying news that Russia was suffering serious reverses in the Ukraine and threatening a response as a result. Uh, the Ukrainians, heavily supported by Western arms, have made significant gains, retaking a lot of land that Russia had uh, taken earlier. The response by Moscow is worrying for the West. Uh, in an address made earlier this week, uh, President uh, Putin uh, stated that he would hold elections in some of the U- Ukrainian areas that remain in Russian control, and if the residents vote for being included in Russia, uh, they will be absorbed into the Russian Federation. Uh, He has also reiterated his threat to use whatever means at his disposal to defend the motherland, 
and that uh, he was not bluffing. He accused the West of uh, wanting to destroy Russia and stressed he would use, quote, all available means, uh, close of quote, to protect its territory. This means that the nuclear option might well be also on the table, and this was confirmed by another statement he made during that same address. He said, and I quote, those who are trying to blackmail us with nuclear weapons should know that the wind can also turn in their direction. Very ominous, isn't it? Uh, the determination of Russia to win this conflict was made clearer as the president of Russia vowed to mobilize 300,000 of its conscripts, conscripts for the fight. Um, some experts believe that with the resources that Russia has, Ukraine is no match. It may be propped up by Western uh, weapons, but in the long run, uh, this will only prolong the war and not change the result, uh, a result which is going to be inevitable. Others, especially the Ukrainian president, are convinced that Ukraine will win all its territories back, uh, no matter what happens. Whoever is right, the prolonging of this conflict is simply leading to more bloodshed and suffering. Not only that, but the sanctions that we have imposed appears to be hurting us more than them, uh, it can be argued. Our energy costs are soaring through the roof, while Russia is having a field day with rising energy revenue it has earned due to the hike on the world market in the price of energy. An early negotiated settlement between Russia and Ukraine is clearly urgently needed. Uh, so let's pray that uh, peace can be forged uh, in this part of Europe and this uh, conflict can be uh, put to bed uh, early. Right, um, so I have one or two other stories, but I think uh, I don't want to monopolize this particular part of the program. Over to you, sir. Uh, there is one <coughs> story that I do want to share. So as you know, in the particular news segment that we do cover, we tend to go some of the news which is happening around the world, but also at the same time, we also come uh, cover some of the news with regards to the Amdiya Muslim community as well. And uh, one uh, one particular uh, news that I would like to mention is with regards to the virtual um, sittings as Holiness had, has with the members of the Amdi Muslim country around the world. And uh, this particular virtual meeting was uh, first uh, from from that country. So the executive Amdiya Muslim Women's Auxiliary Organization in Italy had their virtual online meeting with His Holiness. And uh, this was conducted this month on the 4th of September. Um, and uh, <coughs> just just uh, uh, a little overview on this. Uh, His Holiness, he presided the meeting from MTA Studios in Islam by Tilford, uh, while the, the members were in, uh, were in Betu Tawheed Mosque in San Poitro. <coughs> so during the meeting, His Holiness, he emphasized the importance uh, of members making efforts to portray the true and peaceful message of Islam to the Italian people. And speaking to the secretary, the Bleague, who is responsible for outreach, His Holiness, he said that, and I quote, that you should make a comprehensive plan on how to convey the message of Islam and consider what needs procuring and how much literature you need and how will you distribute it. Also analyze which people are most interested in religion and how 
can how can you reach them and invite them to your events hold seminars about Islam and invite your contacts make personal relationship with people do not think that your only task is to cook housework or taking or talking to your spouse rather go out yourself and tell your husband that you also have the responsibility to go out to convey the message of Islam tell them that you must do the same work as men do you should tell them that we will look after our homes and carry out the moral training of the children however at the same time the bleak is also our responsibility so a very beautiful answer that he his holiness gave on you know as to portray the true message of islam even in to the italian people um and his holiness said that even women uh, they have a duty towards that and not only you know um although women do have uh, their own responsibilities at their homes as well but his holiness said that also apart from that make time and uh, you know propagate the message of islam and i mean this is very interesting um, in how his holiness said that invite them to various events and you know get them more involved um and uh, i i suppose this is a very interesting question you know especially in the society we live in now uh how important is religion to us um and you know how can we encourage others that you know religion is actually a very important part of of our lives and uh, you know how important it is um that we should have religion um and uh, here on the voice of islam studio this is a particular topic that we do cover as well where we look at um you know various other religions and um you know at various times we've invited various guests from christian faith hinduism uh, buddhism and you know just mainly focusing on how important religion is within the society uh, and there's something which we have continues to highlight and even with regards to the amdi muslim community here in the uk you know there there's always various events happening um where others can contribute as well and one such event which is going to be taking place this weekend uh is going to be the Tilford Village fundraiser uh so this is a 10 uh or you can do a 5k run or walk um and what they're doing is that they're going to be uh the amdi muslim community they're going to be raising funds to restore the ceiling of all saints church in Tilford so you know please if any of the listeners do want to partake in that they can also partake in that and also um and also they can fundraise for this particular event which will be taking place on sunday okay thank you very much all right um this um uh, there was one story that i i mean you're learned scholars uh, and i just wanted to uh, take your view on uh, what is happening in one country where it said that uh, a lady was um, forced uh, to uh, don the hijab in the proper way and when she wasn't doing so she was beaten and as a result this is these are allegations and there's an investigation going on and i don't want to uh, focus on on that con- that event as such but on the issue it raises 
that uh, women are forced to wear wear the hijab because hijab is conforms to the attire prescribed uh, in Islam where uh, of the veil or the parda is, is observed. What are your thoughts about that? I mean, first verse which comes into my mind is uh, that, you know, the Holy Quran itself, it says that that uh, there is no compulsion in religion. So what this means is that uh, we ourselves, you know, we within within Islam, um, there's nothing which is done by force. Mm. Um, everyone is free to do or choose the path which they choose for themselves of their own free will. Um, and uh, Islam very strictly it does not say that you know you should force someone to do something and if uh, you know obviously Islam it very beautifully explains you know why you should cover your uh, why you should cover your head your bosoms it is for your chastity um, and not only does it tell men uh, t- tell women to cover their heads but also at the same time men are also instructed that they should lower their gaze so not only does the Holy Quran, it mentions that you should wear the veil, uh, but also it gives the wisdom behind it as to why you should do it. Um, so in a nutshell, um, you know, Islam mm-hmm. says that there is no compulsion within religion. So, you know, there, there is no not a matter of force within, within Islam that, uh, you know, women should be like this or they should do exactly like this. Um, however, at the same time, uh, the Holy Quran, uh, with its great wisdom, is is prescribed that this is, these are the injunctions within Islam, and this is for your own particular good. Um, and even if we look at towards the Bible, um, <laughs> I've I've mentioned this quote many times. No, no, as, do. Repeat uh, it, yes. Many quote uh, this quote many times. But even in the Bible, you know, it mentions to cover the veil as well. That you know you should cover yourself. And uh, there's one particular quote which comes to my mind um, is that in Corinthians, for example, it mentions that uh, you should you should cover your heads. And uh, as such, it goes into such extreme that it says that those women that do not cover their heads as if they have shaved their own heads. I mean, this is a bit extreme. Um, But Islam does not say that, you know, it does not force someone to do it. But uh, you know, at the same time, as I explained, that it gives great wisdom behind as well. That this is the reason why you should do that, to to guard your chastity, to to obtain modesty. Would uh, you like to add anything? Yeah, uh, adding to, adding, yeah, adding to that, the point is that in some countries we see that hijab is banned. So over there, women, their reaction is that they want to cover themselves up, and in some countries where, as you said, they're forced to cover up. So the reaction is that we shouldn't have freedom. So it's between it varies from women to women, but there's freedom in Islam. So in Islam, they at some point they want to cover themselves up, and at some point they don't, and varies from person to person as well. So mm. there's no compulsion there. It's your free will. Islam is a guiding light. It guides you. This is good and this is bad. But after that, it's up to you. It's right. completely up to you. You want to d- carry out or you don't. It's mm-hmm. yeah. It's up to the person. No, no, no. No, the point, good point you raise that in France, for instance, uh, women are uh, um, actually forced to take off the veil if they are wearing the veil. And even when uh, masks, because of mm. COVID, were introduced, uh, if they were in any way 
uh, imitating the whale, then they were supposed to be taken off. So force uh, in any direction is, is something that would not be condoned in Islam. Now, thank you very much for that. Uh, that's clarified, I hope. Uh, that particular uh, that particular aspect of that issue, um, we have to uh, move on and uh, look at uh, the uh, first of our main topics that uh, we're going to be dealing with. Uh, this is, uh, as mentioned at the top of the program, is regarding King Charles. Whether uh, what are his views on Islam? Uh, it's something we picked up from Al Jazeera. Uh, the gist of the story is that during the course of his life, the British monarch has uh, on several key occasions expressed his views on Islam and, Muslim, and the Muslim world. Uh, King Charles III, who succeeded his mother, Queen Elizabeth II, has drawn increased attention since taking the throne. Uh, although the 73-year-old has been prominent in the media for many years, uh, most of the spotlight on Charles has been on his failed union with uh, the late uh, Princess Diana. However, the next British king has also drawn notice for his opinions on a uh, number uh, of uh, social and cultural problems such as uh, politics, religion, and climate change. I think this may have been little dated because he's not the next uh, British king. He is the current British king. Uh, who has drawn notice for his opinions on a number of social and cultural problems. Um, Charles has frequently shared his opinions on Islam and has uh, publicly discussed his <coughs> appreciation, appreciation for the Muslim faith. The author Robert Johnson reported in his book Charles at 70, Thoughts, Hopes and Dreams, that uh, the monarch reads the Quran and writes letters in Arabic to Muslim leaders. Um, and uh, he's also been very vocal on the environment, uh, has been a vocal supporter of the environmental causes for many years, pleading with global leaders to look for both short-term and long-term answers to climate change. In fact, he raised his voice on this issue some some decades ago, um, so he was quite uh, far-sighted from, uh, that, uh, in that respect. Uh, based on his understanding of Islam and the Quran, Charles asserted that there are limits to the fullness of nature in a lecture he gave at the Oxford Centre for Islamic Studies in 2010. And according to our current king, a Church of England uh, member, um, he said that uh, these are not arbitrary restrictions. They are the limits placed by God. And as such, if my interpretation of the Quran is accurate, Muslims are ordered not to breach them. Additionally, he uh, stated in the same lecture that we share this planet uh, with the rest of creation for a very good reason. And that reason is that we are unable to survive on our own without the complexity balanced web of life all around us. Islam has always preached this and failing to heed it would be a breach of our relationship. Um, he said something about the Danish cartoons as well. And uh, this was that he criticized the 2005 release of the Danish cartoons that insulted Islam's prophet uh, Muhammad during a visit to Al-Azhar University in Cairo, Egypt, and urged everyone to respect the views of others. 
respect for minorities and strangers, this is a quote from him, respect for minorities and strangers is the essential characteristic of a civilized society. And he added in his remarks that the recent horrifying conflict that raged over the Danish cartoons shows the danger that comes from our inability to listen and to appreciate that, that which is dear and holy to others. Uh, the cartoon sparked a discussion about anti-Muslim prejudice and the boundaries of free speech in the West. And the subject of Ramazan, uh, Charles stated that everyone may learn from the spirit of Ramazan during the beginning of the Muslim holy month of Ramazan in, in April, so this was earlier this year. And he noted in a statement that not just the charity, but also the abstention, gratitude, and togetherness in prayer which would uh, give great consolation to people across the world. Uh, the kindness and generosity of Muslims never ceases to amaze me. And as we go into more uncertain times, he's said to have uh, declared, I have no doubt that this Ramadan, the Muslim community, will once more be a major source of humanitarian giving. Um, so there's obviously um, uh, statements that is made regarding its um, relations with Islam uh, and the West. What were they then? Yes, so according to Charles, there is a lot of misunderstanding about Islam in the West. And he has long argued for greater ties between the Muslim and Western worlds. Um, so he said that if there is a lot of misinformation about Islam in the West, uh, there is equ equally a lot of misinformation about the about the depth that uh, our own culture and civilization owe to the Islamic world, and it is the it is a failure that, in my opinion, results from the rigidity uh, <coughs> of history that we have inherited and we have observed. In a famous lecture uh, lec lecture delivered at the Oxford Centre for Islamic Studies in 1993. Um, so ex he said that extremism shouldn't be uh, considered a hallmark of Islam. Charles emphasized that adding uh, that our other religions like Christianity can also practice it. So it, uh, it's a, v a beautiful um, speech by um, Charles and uh, especially the fact that he's touched on Islam and uh, he's explained that, you know, well, this is not what Islam says. Islam does not... Uh, portray an extre extreme for religion um, for someone um, who is very so influential in, within the society I think it's very important to tackle these issues of Islamophobia because we've discussed Islamophobia so many times here on the Voice of Islam uh, studios that uh, you know especially if we look at the UK it does exist and uh, people they need to they need to know what the true teachings of Islam really is because in actual fact what happens is that when they look at different tabloids different newspapers and they read different news about Islam um, or any such terror attacks which has been related to Islam they get the notion that you know what Islam this is what Islam teaches maybe Islam is maybe an extreme religion well in actual fact this is not the case um, Islam itself means peace um, and uh, the the greatest of jihad the the word jihad i mean imam Farid, you or you're here in the studios as well maybe you can add something to this as well um, if we look at the word 
jihad for example it is from jahada and this itself um has got the wrong connotation within the society people think that maybe jihad it means uh that it, it refers to a holy holy war uh, but actual fact if we look at the root word of jihad is the root word is jahada and it means to strive to strive oneself and the best form of jihad as explained by the holy prophet peace be upon him is the reformation of one's inner self so this is the best form of jihad as explained by the holy prophet peace be upon him in fact at one place the this is the battle of hanan where the holy prophet peace be upon him he himself quotes that rajana min al jihad al akbari ila al jihad al asghari he explains that uh, at the battle of hanan at the time of the holy prophet peace be upon him although that war was a defensive war but he explains that we have done the lesser jihad and now we will move on to our greatest of jihad which is which is the jihad of the reformation the jihad of oneself um imam fru would you also wanted to add anything on to that it says in the holy quran that walazina jahadu fina lanatiyanhum subulana and the translation is if you strive in our ways will surely guide us guide you towards our path so jihad over here again means to strive mm-hmm. and the best way to do that it says in the holy quran is to strive in the way of allah find the way of allah rather than you can say fighting and killing people that's it absolutely um we we are going to be joined by uh, imam uh, rahid ahmed uh, shortly and imam ibrahim noonan uh, so while we wait um, we can um, continue uh, further with uh, what can be well i we can't because uh, my screen tells me that we are with imam rahil ahmed um assalamu alaikum imam rahil assalamu alaikum right uh, i'm surrounded by imams uh, today and in the studio i'm surrounded by imams where i work with you and uh, your colleagues um, so there's no no difference uh, we're talking about um, uh, prince charles and his views on islam um yeah. what has been oh, sorry king charles not prince charles what has been the british monarch's relation to the muslims uh, world throughout uh, history yes of course um i think this uh, that's a very broad question indeed uh, and since the question is not limited to you know any sort of particular time um but what is asked is you know as you said throughout history so often you know we think of this sort of relationship of Brit- Brit- british uh monarchs or monarchy with Islam or the Muslims beginning when the British colonized the, uh, India hmm. whereas the majority of uh, the Muslim population you know at, at the time were living in India as, as you know but the truth is that the relationship of uh, Muslims or Islam with Britain you know go, goes uh, you know, as far back as the 7th century uh of course by inference from the record that actually survives now there's a detailed article on, on this subject published by Daud Rosa Owen who was in charge of the association of British Muslims he recently passed away so the title basically entitled the history of islam in british isles and it is quite detailed but briefly he begins by you know stating that there were muslim presence in britain uh, in british isles as early as the 7th of the 8th century AD 
but he says that majority of that record was destroyed uh, knowingly after the military destruction of the Saudi Christianity uh, by the Church of Rome in the mid in, in the Middle Ages. That was, and and he also says that it seems that the Celts of of the West Britain, west of Britain, were in direct seaborne contact with the Muslims. Um, you know, as soon as Hazrat Amr bin Alas conquered Egypt in 634, and or when Jerusalem was, uh, you know, surrendered to Muslims at the time of Hazrat Caliph Umar, or Hazrat Umar bin Khattab radiallahu And then, you know, various examples are given of, uh, you know, there, there is this, there's a king called Shaubak Mathfakhteh uh, Fota. He's a high king of the Riyadh in the 700, basically the territory uh, at, in, in, in this that you would call Northern Ireland and Western Scotland. He, he, he's said to be a Muslim uh, as some of his subjects. And then you have um, in Muhammad bin Musa al-Kharizmi, who was a famous uh, Persian polymath in his Surah al-Ard, he basically mentioned a number of British regions. Then you, have, you, know, then you also find uh, in, the, um, you know, in, in, in the 8th century an inscription an Arabic inscription from the same century can be found on a belly cotton cross. And in 19 and in 900, you, you know, you have uh, it is documented that um, you know Abdul Rahman bin Al Harun Al Maghrabi reached Britain. So you have all of these different you know examples where you have you know a, a Muslim presence um, you know in, in 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 Britain. And these reports actually suggest that Muslims had reached and interacted with the Britons uh, you know on their native soil. And you know, abroad uh, through trade uh, from very early on, and possibly you know from the beginning of the 8th century, as I as I said, and these mm-hmm. links, these trade links, would have continued between the Muslims residing in Andalusia, Spain, as, as you know, Muslims Spain, mm-hmm. Portugal, and these trade links, you know, uh, were there for centuries actually. And some something very interesting uh, there is that um, uh, we see that whenever you know there was a threat within the Christian world, uh, whenever it increased they would look elsewhere for alliances and support. So in, in 1587, it is said that the Queen Elizabeth I of England, Ireland, and France had arranged an agreement with the Ottoman Empire that if the you know, Spaniards landed in England, the Ottomans would come to their rescue. Mm. And you know, uh, so uh, as, I, as I mentioned, the Islamic rule of Spain and the preservation of classical learning during the Dark Ages, all of that, uh, you know, then we go forward, we find in Oxford and Cambridge, both, there were, you know, uh, chairs of Arabic uh, established in the 17th century. Uh, an English translation of the Holy Quran comes forward from Alexander Ross, which was in 1649. So you have all of these examples uh, that one can give and speak about pre-colonial history. Uh, and that was of trade, alliances, military, and sort of, you know, dip- diplomatic assistance uh, at, at the time, you know, being requested from Muslim land. So, that you know answers your question that and as i was as i was saying earlier that it's such a um, huge e- era that we have to cover because we're asking you know british monarchs relationship with the muslim world throughout history and we're going as back as at the time of the umar yeah so, so so you're saying basically it goes back to the seventh century anyway um thanks for everything it's very interesting what you've what you've said uh, um, i've got my mom uh, uh with me he's he's uh, he wants to ask you a few questions as- okay, cool. Assalamu alaikum Hope you're doing well this morning, uh, Brother Imam Raheel. Um, I want to ask you what has been the historical relations of the Queen and the British monarchy with the Muslim community, um, and how were the Muslims treated under its rule during imperialism? 
Very interesting. Um, so we've basically covered the era of uh, pre-colonialism, right? Um, mm. But what we're referring to here basically would be uh, the 19th century, where you know we saw much of the Muslim territories were, were being colonized by the British at the time. So now the relationship changed from, uh, to you know that of a ruler and its subjects. And you know much could be argued on the British economic policies. For example, you know there's a there's a there's a, there's a person with uh, there's an Indian in, uh, diplomat and a writer called Dr. Shashi Tharoor who who argues that when the British took over India, the share of India in the world economy was at 23%. But when they left it, was down to below 4% because he says that India was governed for the benefit of Britain and that the industrialization of Britain was uh, built on the deindustrialization of India. I mean, the reality is, you know, what is it that conquerors do and have done since, you know, mankind has ever existed, with the exception of one, of course, you know, the Holy Prophet, you know, the example of, uh, we know, and we often mention the example of the conquest of Makkah. And of course, even during the times of his caliphs after, that legacy sort of continued. And this is what I also covered in my article on uh, King Charles' views on Islam, where he speaks about, you know, Islam. And I was fascinated in in, in a way to 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 come to know that here there was a you know Christian king now, who was pre- previously a prince of Wales, who has such deep thoughts and that such deep understanding of you know, not just Islamic theology but its history and what Islam actually contributed to to the West. And then you have, you know, other people that argue, uh, on the other hand, that the British provided civil service, fourth largest railway network, democracy, which still exists in all of these, you know, all of its colonies. And people also mention the rule of law. You give, and to give example, that prior to their coming, uh, you know, for example, a Brahman, an upper class Hindu, could kill a Shudra, which is a lower class Hindu, and could and not face a death penalty. Whereas a Shudra, if found in court with the Brahman women, would be given a death penalty. So this this was abolished by the British, as, you know, as as well as other such customs, as sati. We know where a Hindi widow would be burnt on uh, you know death of a husband, and they mentioned other you know infrastructure benefits and stuff like that. So one could say yes, there was good and also there was bad, but it is up to an individual to reach uh, you know that conclusion based on his reading. But one thing, another major avenue, which is. Uh, now, you know, in, in, in today's day and age, is not often discussed when these you know, de- de- debates do take place, is the religious liberty and freedom that the British Empire provided to all its citizens. So the question was, how, what the relationship was, right? Um, and, I've, uh, you know, with, with the Muslims particularly, I'm, I'm going to go as far as saying what, what, what the relationship was with, its, with all of its citizens, where, you know, there were Muslims, Christians, uh, Hindus at the time live, 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 living under one empire. So you will find, you know, Hindus. You will find Hindus speaking ill of Aurangzeb, for, for instance, calling him a controversial mm-hmm. figure in modern India, often describing him as a vile oppressor of Hindus. Or Muslims talking of, you know, about the oppression or persecution they experienced during the time of Sikh Empire. Yet when it came to the British, uh, you know, in that matter of religion, all had the right to expression of their beliefs. So the liberty to you know practice their beliefs you know without any subjugation, um, and this was something that, that was highly praised. We know as the uh, as the members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community by the founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, Azmiz of Qadian, and even you know non Ahmadi scholars prior to Prophet Muhammad such as Shah Ismail Shahid, um, you know prohibited jihad against the British. Uh, when he was conducting jihad, actually against the Sikhs, uh, because they, you know, they had stopped Muslims from practicing their belief, um, 
uh, you know, at certain places because the British did not interfere with their religion. He said, you know, this jihad cannot be called against the British. So that puts into perspective, uh, you know, what the relationship of the British monarch, uh, you know, was uh, during their rule, uh, you know, in India. And that, that has continued. We live, live living in this day and age, no matter how much we disagree with, you know, its, its policies towards the East, but those that are living in its reign, those that are living in these countries, whether they're Muslims, you know, Christians or you know, Hindus, they they you know uh, cherish uh, this this religious liberty, this equal religious liberty, being able to practice their religion freely. No, thank you for that. It's uh, very very interesting, um, and I I wanted to move the conversation more towards um, the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, founder of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community, and the the Khulafa, mm-hmm. the successors of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Community. Do we have any incidents or interactions of contact between the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, or the Khulafa with the with the royals? Absolutely. I mean, we know that the Promised Messiah Islam lived at a time where, you know, he, uh, the India was under British rule. And, and you know, all of his life was, um, you know, under a monarch. Um, uh, we know the, the, the Empress of India at the time was Queen Victoria. And, uh, you know, on numerous occasions, um, the Promised Messiah Islam had uh, written to her, um, uh, you know, inviting her to basically first conveying the message of Islam to her. Uh, and not just, you know, uh, if one, and, and, and I would encourage people, those that are listening to, to read these two you know, specific books that I'm referring to. One is known as Tofai Kasariya, Gift to the Empress, which was written in 1987 at the time of a jubilee. And then another book was written, A Star of the Empress in 1899. What you will find in these two books, and something very particular I, sh- I should mention, um, because oftentimes uh, the, the community is, you know, uh, sort of there's an uh, there's an allegation that that that, 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 that there was a flattery, nausebilla, you know, God forbid, in in the words of the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him, and 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 the and, and the opponents go to an extent to say that the, the the community were planted by the British in India in order to endure Islam or in order to remove the idea of jihad from the minds of the Muslims. But when when someone reads that book, they will come to the conclusion themselves. That a the Prophet Muhammad Islam conveyed the 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 message of true Islam. He praised them for the religious liberty that they provided. The British, uh, you know, uh, the uh, monarchy or the British government at the time uh, provide pro- pro- provided to the Muslims, particularly knowing the fact what Muslims had to go during the Sikh coup, which Prophet Muhammad details in, in in some of his other books. And he says this is a responsibility of a of of a person. That when he enjoys such liberty, is to is is to first of all thank God and also you know thank uh, you know the people that are providing that um, freedom to them. And then we we also have examples of um, um, uh, and this has continued this this idea this identity um, you know this this, this feeling of uh, being thankful to to the government and, and 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 being loyal. When has you know becoming disloyal to a, a you know a monarch or you know a, a, a government that provides you religious liberty safety of life is ever mentioned in Islam or is an Islamic principle. If if we said you know um, that would be uh, you know uh, you know that that would be um, morals of those who uh, you know hold very seditious or you know are very uh, you know very unthankful people in a way. 
and these people, you know, these traits are not like like by Allah the Almighty. Um, and then this has continued, as, as I said, within our community. We also find, at the time of uh, you know Prince of Wales, uh, who later you know became King Edward the I think the eighth, um, when when he visited India in in, in December 1921, as a Muslim, was uh, the second Caliph of the anti-Muslim communities with Abshir Nawuna, may Allah be pleased with him. He actually proposed that a befitting gift be you know, presented to His Highness. And after Huzur's, uh, after this call, Huzur had written a book, uh, which is known in the community as A Present to the Prince of Wales. In all of these examples, you know, you would find that the purpose behind all of that is, and something very interesting is, at, at, at the time of Queen Victoria, you have other people that also send gifts to the Queen. And there's a, if you go to the British Library, you find, you know, a list of Muslim, you know, influential people who send these, you know, um, Afghan rugs, pearls, souvenirs, you know, made of pure gold and stuff. But what was it that the Promised Messiah had to offer? Uh, you know, it was that it was the true teachings of Islam and, and, and inviting her to Islam. And this may, you know, may this offer may may, may be very insignificant to the world, but to him, the Promised Messiah, it was the most precious gift that he could ever pro- provide to the monarch of his time. You know, as as thankfulness. And lastly, you know, we have the example of uh, His Holiness, the current Caliph of the Indian Muslim community. Uh, you know. Um, you know, on, on numerous occasions at, at, at the Jubilee, um, you know, celebrations as well as, um, you know, when, when the Queen recently, you know, passed away, uh, the message of condolences, as well as we know, you know, uh, be, uh, when at the, at the, at the gathering of the, the annual gathering of the uh, Ahmadiyya Youth Association, um, the, out of respect, the, uh, the sports competitions were cancelled. Um, and so these 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 are small gestures in order to show your you know your respect and um, you know your your thankfulness towards uh, a government or 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 a, or a monarch that you're living un- under. Oh, very interesting, Imam Rahil. Um, Imam Farid, there was also got a couple of questions, but we've only got a, just over two minutes left. So, uh, okay. yeah, go ahead, Imam Farid. Hi, Imam Rahil. So I just wanted to ask. What has been yeah, what has been Hazu's views on the dedication of service monarchy of UK and Ahmadiyya Muslim community? If you can shed some light on it. Yes, of course. Huzur mentioned that in his uh, as a in, in his last uh, ad- address uh, in the final final session of this uh, youth association's ishtima, uh, as we say, annual gathering, and he mentioned that the Queen, you know, was the longest serving head of state. You know, she led the nation with great dignity. And, and justice for over 70 years. And during the reign, you know, the United Kingdom remained a beacon of religious freedom in the world. And indeed, the Queen herself advocated for true religious freedom, interfaith harmony on many occasions. Um, and, and he says, thus, we need to be grateful, you know, to having, to being able to live under such a gracious monarch. And I quote, he says, as Hamdi Muslims, we should be particularly appreciative of the fact that we are given the opportunity to establish our Jamaat international headquarters after the migration of Hazrat Ibrahim Musi the fourth in the United Kingdom during the reign of Queen Elizabeth, and we have been able to practice and propagate our religion uh, and Islam freely. So this, uh, I think, those that are aware of uh, the history of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and the persecution that we faced, you know, as a community, we we truly cherish, you know, this this religious freedom. We can never never take this for granted. Uh, e- even now, there are Ahmadis around the world who face persecution, and uh, and and those who who. Who, who belong to Pakistan have come from, they can actually you know, tell, tell you these stories. 
But this this was, uh, you know, His Holiness's views. And I know with the shortage of time, uh, I can't really go into the detail. All right. Thanks very much, uh, Imam Rahil. Um, it's uh, a wealth of information that you've laid before us. Uh, thank you for your contribution. I wish you all the best in the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Salam. Right, um, uh, we were uh, approaching the 8 o'clock news uh, very soon. Uh, we will be covering uh, this uh, story immediately afterwards as well, this story about what are the views of uh, the new monarch on Islam. Um, and after that, we'll be looking at uh, the second of our main topics, which is uh, women are more obese than men. Uh, this is according to experts, and they say that genes and hormones are, are responsible for that. And we'll be discussing that with the Professor Amtharuzak Carmichael. So don't go away, stay with us. Um, here in a few seconds is the uh, news. You are listening to the recording of a live show. Please do not call or text, as this is a recording, and lines are now closed. Peace be upon you. Good morning. Welcome back to the breakfast show, The Voice of Islam, with uh, Imam Turkit Anvir and uh, Imam Farid Ahmed and myself, Farid Ahmed. The time is three minutes past eight, and it's Friday, the 23rd of September, uh, 2022. We were exploring uh, the issues surrounding the first of our main topics, it was uh, regarding uh, King Charles's views on Islam as far as we can glean from what he has been able to pronounce upon it uh, while he was the Prince of Wales. Um, so uh, we are going to be uh, uh, talking to Imam Ibrahim Noonan very soon. Um, we can perhaps continue with some of the Islamic angle before... Uh, we talk to him while we're waiting. Yes, yes, of course. Um, so, I mean, one particular uh, interesting point that uh, uh, Imam Rahil mentioned that even at the time from the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, we saw that not only did he um, preach the message of Islam to the general public, but so far as such, he went on to preach that message even to the the monarch at that time and uh, as he mentioned that his holiness he wrote that letter to uh, queen victoria at that time um, as uh, as we know that uh, uh, that the muslims they were under the under the british empire at that time um, and so he had written a letter to i mean it, it's a very lengthy letter and it's a short booklet now that we can read um, and he wrote it in Urdu and it's the Urdu name of it is Tofai Kasriya and the translation is a gift to the Queen and in this particular letter that he wrote he highlighted the message of Islam and uh, the important need of Islam at that time and, and, and not only that but he also praised the British Empire as before the British Empire, you know the 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 Muslim community or the uh, several other communities at that time in South India they were ruled uh, in India they were ruled by 
<coughs> by the Sikhs and at that time it was very difficult there was no freedom of religion Muslims were not allowed to call for prayer and uh, there, there was a lot of restrictions in fact I remember reading that uh, the promised Messiah peace be upon him he writes in one of his writings that uh, a, a Muslim at that time because uh, cows are they're a symbol of deity within the Hindu culture and the promised Messiah peace be upon him he writes that uh, one of the Muslims at that time uh, he was trying to get to his house and there was a herd of cows on in front of his house and to move one of the cows he had used his sword um, just to slightly move that, that cow but in fact what that person ended up doing was that he grazed the cow slightly and because of that uh, the his case went to court and uh, so much so it said that the court was going to cut off his hands just for the fact that you know the, he had uh, you know he had uh, he had not respected their 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 beliefs or he has you know he had hurt one of the one of the uh, the cows so it went to that extreme that you know um, not only muslims but also people of other religion they were severely persecuted and when the british empire had then come and ruled over india that religious freedom was given to all people and they could freely uh, Muslims could freely call people for prayer they could pray in congregation um, so that f religious freedom was given and in fact the promised Messiah peace be upon him he praises that in within this letter as well um, um, and and just recently after the demise of the Queen within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community there were various uh, exhibitions which were held throughout the UK uh, places such as here in Bethfthu the House of Victories in the in the Fossil Mosque um, you know in uh, so various regions around the country um, where you know they're, they're, um, I, I suppose uh, Brother Willie you could shed more light on that well uh, no I mean these events um Marking the um, the demise of the king, uh, the queen, and the accession to uh, King Charles, uh, were celebrated. Well, were held uh, all over the country. Mm. So you mentioned uh, here in Battlethu, we also had one in Southall, in Crawley, yeah. in Huddersfield, in uh, I think there was one in Bradford as well. <coughs> yeah, Bradford uh, as uh, well. Birmingham. Um, there was one in Crawley. Yes. Uh, Manchester. Yes. Watford, so there was the many many um, in Scotland as well, mm. in Huddersfield, so all all over the UK really the um, the Muslim community they they held mm. various events to mm. to mark this yeah. uh, particular time, yeah. and it, st it stems from this this underlying principle of being loyal to one's country, and so from there it flows that you would also be. Um, loyal to the, the monarch of the, of the country as well, so um, it, the the events were very well organised. Uh, we had uh, uh, speakers that addressed uh, gatherings, uh, speakers that were from both uh, the political end of the spectrum, but also religious leaders as well, uh, Hindus, Christians, uh, and and Jews. 
So um, it was uh, a means of uh, sharing uh, feelings and sentiments that uh, we held uh, as a community on what was a very monumental, monumental event. And it also helped us uh, foster uh, greater cohesion uh, as a result as well. So it was a very useful way of uh, expressing what was uh, a difficult moment uh, for, for many of us and losing a monarch of, uh, uh, who had reigned for, uh, over us for such a long time. Uh, we're still waiting for Imam uh, uh, Ibrahim Noonan because uh, we have to move on uh, shortly to our next big, uh, big uh, topic. Um, but it's very interesting um, to actually look uh, through uh, as to what uh, the king has mentioned about, uh, about Islam uh, as reported by various uh, sources. For instance, um, um, it is said about him that uh, he, he says that conflict uh, comes uh, uh, comes about because of the misuse of power and the clash of ideals, not to mention the inflammatory activities of unscrupulous and bigoted leaders. But it also arises tragically from an inability to understand and from the powerful emotions which out of misunderstanding lead to distrust and fear. This was from a speech that uh, His Royal Highness made uh, titled Islam in the West at the Oxford Center of Islamic Studies. And he added uh, that it, uh, it is uh, odd in many ways that misunderstandings with Islam in the West should persist for that which binds our two worlds together is so much more powerful than that which divides us. Muslims, Christians, and Jews are all peoples of the book. Islam and Christianity share a common monotheistic vision, a belief in one divine God, in the uh, tra uh, trans transience of our earthly life, in our accountability for our actions, and in the assurance of life to come. We share many key values in common respect for knowledge, for justice, compassion towards uh, the poor and underprivileged, the importance of family life, respect for parents, honor the father and thy mother is a Quranic precept. Two, our history has been closely bound up together. So this is some uh, something from what the uh, um, king has said in the past. He explains the contradictory understanding of the hostile religious history of the past 14 centuries by the two worlds to be the root of the problem which has consequently intensified traditions of fear and distrust, mistrust. He says to a Western child, the 200 years, and I quote, this is from him, the 200 years of crusades are traditionally seen as a series of heroic, chivalrous exploits in which the kings, knights, princes, and children of Europe tried to wrest Jerusalem from the wicked Muslim infidel. Whereas the same incident from Muslim is an episode of great cruelty and terrible plunder. He adds, the point I think is not that one or other picture is more true or has a monopoly of truth. 
It is that misunderstandings arise when we fail to appreciate how others look at the world, its history, and our respective roles in it. Our judgment of Islam has been grossly distorted by taking the extremes to be the norm. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a serious mistake, His Royal Highness says. It is like judging the quality of life in Britain by the existence of murder and rape, child abuse and drug addiction. The extremes exist and they must be dealt with, but when used as a basis to judge a society, they lead to distortion and unfairness. And the current king uh, also highlighted and praised the status given to women in Islam. So it's a topic that uh, we were discussing, aspects of it anyway, uh, in the opening uh, uh, minutes of this program. He says, uh, another obvious Western prejudice is to judge the position of women in Islamic society by the extreme cases. Yet Islam is not a monolith, and the picture is not simple. The rights of Muslim women to property and inheritance, to some protection uh, if divorced, and to the conducting of business, business were rights prescribed by the Quran 1400 years ago, even if they were not everywhere translated into practice. In Britain, at least, some of these rights were novel even to my grandmother's generation. So this is His Royal Highness speaking. And he's uh, further and warned of emotive labeling and equating Islam to fundamentalism. He said there needs to be a distinction between those who devoutly practice their religion and fanatics or extremists who garb this devotion for their political ends. The vast majority of Muslims though personally uh, pious, are moderate in their politics. Theirs is the religion of the middle way. The Prophet himself always disliked and feared extremism. Isn't that, isn't that comforting, uh, Imam Toki, to, to know how aware our prince is and how uh, informed and well-informed uh, he is about Islam and the reason he holds about Islam? Absolutely. And... Uh, I was just reading in the, this part of the article uh, where the writer himself, he, he himself mentions that one cannot help but Im- Im- admire King Charles III's deep insight and understanding of Islamic teaching, traditions mm. and history. And he further says that I believe that if only a percentage of this insight that the king has about Islam is conveyed honestly and wholeheartedly by the media, to the British public, it can effectively serve as a means of removing misunderstanding about Islam and more importantly, will help heal divisions that currently exist in the society. And this grand task of conveying the true teachings of Islam has been part and parcel of the Amdiya Muslim community since its inception for almost two decades. His Holiness, Hazam Ahmed, may Allah strengthen his hand, has continued to bear this beacon has travelled wide and far throughout his leadership to convey the true message of Islam to the world and also provide thorough Islamic teachings, the solution to the world's problems. And uh, so, so very rightly, you mentioned that uh, you know that, that uh, King Charles III, he in truly he has a deep insight and understanding of Islamic tra- teachings and traditions. And uh, this is something which uh, the British media should highlight um, as th- this this particular topic of Islam being the p- peaceful teachings. And this is something which 
is needed within the society um that that aspect should be highlighted yeah no, thanks very much i think we need to bring this uh, to a close uh, we weren't able to get hold of uh, ibrahim nunan uh, but uh, i'm sure that he will be able to join us uh, at some time in the future if not uh, later on during this uh, this broadcast we have to move on and we have to look at the second of our main topics uh, women are more a beast than men experts says uh, it's supposed to be due to genes and hormones um so this is something uh, we picked up from the website news 9 live uh and the gist of the story is that besides a uh, lack of physical activity genetic uh, metabolic and hormonal conditions can lead to obesity uh, dr dr asif umar is apparently the lead researcher behind this finding uh while definitely not always the case women often have a larger body fat percentage than men if women have greater body fat uh than males uh for a variety of reasons uh, the body biological is one women of average size have a body fat percentage of 25% compared to 15% for men uh, when all other factors such as um, age and exercise level are held uh, constant women need less calories for pound uh, of body weight daily than males fat is more easily converted into food thanks to female hormones in households uh women uh, are more likely to be the cooks and finally birth control pills make the body manufacture more fat and water in women who are prone to being overweight uh by alone estrogen will result in an increased in fat uh deposition uh so this is uh, the finding of the uh, study and the study looked at obesity in women between the ages of 15 and 49 in 120 uh, districts spread across the southern states of india 31 districts in telangana or telangana uh, 30 in uh, karnataka and 13 in, in andhra pradesh 14 in kerala and 32 in tamil nadu but it excluded pregnant women and those who had given birth within the previous 2 months according to the world health organization adults with a body mass index bmi of 25 or higher are considered overweight and according to the same organization the world health organization obesity is defined as having a bmi more than or equal to 30 Uh, the study found that um, women in urban areas had greater rates of obesity than women in rural areas uh, according to the study uh, christians account for the largest percentage of obese women overall uh, 31% apparently is the figure uh, however in the southern states of tamil nadu uh, andhra pradesh uh, kerala and uh, telangana the prevalence of obesity is higher among muslim women the survey showed that levels of obesity were greater than uh, the national norm in all the southern states which led researchers to conclude that there is cause for concern at the national level in india uh, other socioeconomic uh, category have a greater incidence of obesity 
uh, following, followed by other backward classes, scheduled caste and uh, scheduled tribe. Uh, Southern India also showed a comparable pattern. So in India, health has uh, been a major source of worry compared to the global norm. The prevalence of obesity has been rising at an alarming rate. The WHO reports that since 1975, the prevalence of obesity has tripled globally. In 2016, 650 million persons were classified as obese and more than 1.9 billion adults uh, were deemed overweight. So there is a global obesity pandemic. Um, um, and that perhaps, uh, maybe you can say yes, something on that. absolutely. Um, I, I mean, I'm just going to carry on uh, with the findings. Yes. Um, so the WHO, WHO report, um, uh, they, they say that since uh, 1975, the prevalence of obesity has tripled globally. And in 2016, 650 million persons were classified as obese and more than 1.9 billion adults were deemed overweight. So there is a global obesity pandemic. However, the prevalence of overweight and obesity amongst men and women varies greatly within uh, and between countries. And overall, more women are obese than men. And these gender Disparities in overweight and obesity are exacerbated among women in developing countries, particularly in the Middle East and North Africa. Yet in developed countries, more men are overweight than women. And current knowledge suggests that the myriad uh, socio-culture dynamics throughout the world exacerbate uh, gender disparities in excess weight gain and different contextual factors drive gender differences in food consumption and women often report consuming healthier foods yet may uh, consume more sugar-laden foods than men and acculturation uh, through complex socio-culture pathways affect weight gain among both men and women. So the nutrition uh, transition taking place in many developing countries has also affected excess weight gain among both genders, uh, but has had an even greater impact on the physical activity levels of women. Furthermore, in some uh, countries, culture values favor larger body size among women or men as a sign of fertility, uh, healthfulness or prosperity. As the global obesity pandemic continues, more research on gender disparities in overweight and obesity will improve the understanding of this pandemic. Um, I mean, we've (laughs) discussed this um, again uh, a lot of times on uh, the Voice of Islam radio station on what Islam teaches on a healthy lifestyle. Mm. Um, But before we do get into the Islamic analysis of it, we are waiting for our first guest. Um, We are waiting for uh, Amtur Razak Carmichael. And uh, I just wanted to read out an introduction for her as well, just before we do have her on. Um, uh, Brother Uli, would you like to... um, uh, just give an overview of uh, Amtur Raza Carmichael, what her introduction is. Yes, certainly. Uh, yes, certainly. Um, 
Uh, Michael is uh, an expert uh, in medicine. She's a professor. Um, uh, she qualified in uh, 1987 with the gold medals for academic excellence and uh, took her surgical training at major uh, teaching hospitals in London, Edinburgh and Philadelphia. And the professor is uh, uh, proud to have served humanity as a cancer surgeon uh, while observing the full Islamic Purdah, something we were discussing uh, earlier. So this is uh, a common thread that is running through this program today, uh, this uh, aspect of the whale and uh, what can uh, women do and not do. She has uh, authored many articles uh, for major peer-reviewed uh, scientific journals. She serves as in charge of the ladies' research cell in the community and a senior member for the review of religions, uh, a senior board member of the review of religions uh, and, and assistant manager. And it's a pleasure to note that she is, in fact, with us. Uh, thank you very much for joining us on the Breakfast Show with the Voice of Islam. Assalamu alaikum. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon all of you. Thank you very much. Uh, Wa alaikum uh, Let's start with the basics. Uh, what is obesity and how do we classify this? So um, this is a very important question. We need to understand that human beings come in different shapes and sizes. Uh, but by and large, if our body weight in kilograms meter square between 20 and 25 uh, kilograms per meter squared, then this is regarded as normal weight or normal what we call body mass index. Whereas the, that is the relationship of your weight to your height. People who have body mass index of 22 tend to live the longest. So common belief is that a Body mass index of 22 is the healthiest. And any body mass index which goes over 25 is classified as obesity. And then obesity could be simple obesity or it could be complex obesity. So if obesity is associated with high blood pressure, diabetes, then we tend to call it morbid obesity where the urgency to treat obesity has been recognized and uh, steps should be taken to address those. Mm -hmm. And uh, is there a difference between men and women in terms of obesity? Um, it is. Uh, the distribution of fat between men and women is slightly different because of different roles they play in life. And then women are um, are exposed to hormonal changes, which happen regularly um, during their reproductive lives uh, during every month. That may impact on their weight. And then when women go through the blessed um, procedures of child rearing, uh, which is pregnancy and breastfeeding, lactation, then during that time, the hormonal level are totally different from men and they are likely to put on weight during these um, conditions. The BMI figures that you mentioned, they're not adjusted uh, for women in any way? They're the same for men and women? 20, they, they are, 
22 okay. being the longest, the the healthiest. Yeah, well, there are this for men and women because men tend to be taller than women. Mm-hmm. So at uh, by measuring weight in kilo, uh, kilograms per meter, kilogram per meter squared, um, would take the size into consideration. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And um, how do female hormones affect obesity? The female hormone, estrogen, is the main one. One of the functions of estrogen is that it will help women to retain water. Mm-hmm. Women retain water, they put on weight. And that's why. And then if at stages of um, when in women the hormones are in a period of flux, for example, near puberty, during pregnancy, lactation, and during menopause, there, these hormones levels could be either low or high. And some patients, their balance may be quite right. And if that happens, then there is a chance that we can put weight. Mm, well, thanks very much. Um, uh, my colleague uh, Imam Tokir also has a few questions, if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, good morning, Professor Amtaraza Kamaiko. Um, but, uh, just before we start, uh, I start the question. I just wanted to say your line is slightly just breaking. If you can um, somehow kind of improve it, uh, because it kindly is slightly breaks while you're speaking. Yes, thank you. I'll try and hold the phone next to my face. I don't know if that's any better. Yeah, this much better. Thank you very much for that. Um, yes, yeah, so we want to ask you, um, what are the harmful effects of obesity, both short term? and long-term? This is really important question and very relevant because we are living in the world where the incidence of obesity is going high. So what to understand is that women and men, when they put on weight, they increase the risk of developing conditions like diabetes, type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, and associated with that, these conditions have their own complications which develop over the years affecting eyes, affecting kidneys, affecting heart and pre-exposing patient failure, in some cases blindness and heart attacks. Also, we see the type, for example, cancer of the gullet, cancer of pancreas, cancer of breast, and cancer. It's really important that we do our best to address obesity at its earliest stage so its long and short-term complications can be addressed. Okay, thank you so much. Um Professor Amtaraza uh, Carmichael, we are having difficulty with the line. Uh, we will try to um, get that fixed and get her back on. Um, so our tech team will deal with that and uh, you know we'll just uh, talk more on the Islamic analysis on this, I suppose, um, on a, a healthy lifestyle and what does Islam say with regards to that. Um, so Islam essentially it says that we should not only look after our spiritual state but at the same time uh, we should look after our physical health and also our mental health 
just like the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he has emphasized that we should look after our spiritual health. At the same time, we should also uh, look after our spiritual health. In fact, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, at one place, he said that that a healthy believer is better than a weak believer. So essentially what that means is that if we are healthy, uh, then we are able to perform not only um, our day-to-day tasks, but on a spiritual level as well. We we are able to then perform our religious duties as well. For example, praying to God Almighty. And in Islam, it says that we should pray to God Almighty five times a day. Um, so if we are sp- if we are physically fit, then we are able to perform uh, various tasks so we were able to be physically active and I guess you know it will it will be different from person to person uh, but I would certainly say uh, myself you know uh, keeping physically active uh, you'll tend to realize yourself that even your daily task you're able to perform them better if you are physically fit Rather, if someone who is obese and you know they've got their health to worry about, it's very difficult to then focus on your own uh, day-to-day tasks as well. Um, and uh, regarding keeping physically fit, I wanted to read out a few quotes of the third caliph of the Amdiya Muslim community, um, where he explains, you know, why we should exercise. And here, particularly, he focuses on cycling that the youth uh, should focus on cycling and there's a quote from uh, at the annual convention in Pakistan uh, in on the 2nd of November to 1973 and he says that why do you stand for buses and waste your time exercise become healthy and ride a bicycle I have said it before and I say it again today in a short time I want 100,000 MD cycle, uh, cycles. An MD cycle is that which is ridden by an Ahmadi. And these 100,000 MD cycles should have the ability to cycle up to 100 miles a day. So the, the third kind of, he, he says <coughs> that uh, from the youth, he, he would want them, uh, he would want 100,000 cyclists and he would want them to cycle 100 miles a day. Um, and in fact, in another place, he says, and I quote, uh, that there are thousands of other advantages to cycling too. For example, many have to go out for household errands or shopping. And if you have a cycle, you will save a lot lot of your quality time. And following glad tidings will also be fulfilled in your person that was given to the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, in these words, that you are the Sheikh, the Messiah, whose time shall not be wasted. Thus, we have to be active towards time-saving and obtain maximum benefit from the little time available so that those blessings may be fulfilled in ourselves as well. And this is from uh, Mashalera. Um, So I do believe that we do have Professor Amtul Raza Carmichael back on with us. Assalamu alaikum. Are you you, you with us? Yes. What a beautiful... um, uh, quotations you have been reading thank you thank you for that um and just coming back to the topic on obesity um i wanted to ask you how can we prevent obesity 
um, by following the teachings of Islam, it will be very easy to uh, follow a, a diet pattern which is conducive to a healthy weight. So two things. The Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam has said that when you eat a third for food, a third for water, and a third of space in your stomach should be for air, then we are kind of told or advised to stop eating when we are nearly full, but not quite full. That gives our body a chance to metabolize the food well. And then Holy Prophet has been quoted to be saying that Muslim eats with one bowel and um, uh, a non-Muslim eats with seven bowels. So amount that should be healthy and choosing all the nutrients. So I know there are lots of reasons Fantastic. Uh, thank you so much, Professor Amtaraza Kamaiko. Thank you so much for joining us this morning and uh, sharing your expertise on this particular subject. Thank you. Jazakumullah for having me and may peace and blessings of Allah be upon all of you. Thank you. And peace and blessings be upon you too. Thank you so much. Um, so we are discussing this topic um, on what Islam says with regards to looking after our physical health um, and I wanted to read this quote out of the promised Messiah peace be upon him uh, so he says at one place the founder uh, the promised Messiah peace be upon him, the founder of the MDM he says that so far as our eating drinking sleeping and awakening are concerned they are essential physical actions and they affect our spiritual well-being our physical our physical uh, 
gesture is manifestly related to our humanity. The relationship of body and soul is such that one cannot explain it easily. Carefully observe observation shows that body is mother to the soul. And uh, also there, there's a other quote as well that I, I wanted to mention. Um, and it, 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 the second khalif, he, ex- he says that, uh, or it is narrated regarding the second khalif that he used to travel out of Qadian for hunting and once participated in a race with his children and uh, servants on the banks of River Bayas. Um, and he said, uh, this recorded in Al Fazl on the 28th of March 1939, he said that we inculcate the habit of physical exercise so that we can be, uh, we can be lethe and active so that our limbs become more strong and so that we gain courage. Uh, now, we, we do have uh, Imam Farid here in the studio as well, and um, recently just gradu- graduated from Jamia Amdiya UK. And in Jamia Amdiya UK, the seven years, you know, not only uh, do they focus on their religious studies, but also uh, a great emphasis is given on looking after their physical health as well. Um, and Mafrid, I wanted to ask you as well. You know, your seven years uh, within Jamia. Is there any particular sport that you focused on specifically, or or even before the Jamia MD UK? Did you ever were you ever a sportsman, or did Jamia make you more active towards physical activities? What were your thoughts on this? Yeah. So uh, first up, thing is that. I used to play cricket and football before Jamia as well, and during Jamia, obviously, I continued with it, and uh, over the some of the angels as well came in, and then yeah, but still, I have the passion. I play it, and obviously, it helps me to be active. But I remember, in the, you can say my childhood when I used to play every day for let's say hour a day or more than another day. So, if I miss out on some days, so because my parents didn't allow me to go there, then I would feel as if my body is craving for it so I need to physically exercise and it's good for your body and uh, it says in the Holy Quran as well that eat and drink and do not exceed bounds so surely he who does not love those who exceed bounds now this verse signifies the fact that first up the one the, the first thing is that one should not overeat oneself and the second thing is that he should not always use the same kind of food but should vary it from time to time so it says in the holy quran as well that first off you need to have a balanced diet rather than eating the same you can say sugars and fatty food you need to balance it eat what you like plus eat what's good for you as well and it says there are four you can say classifications main classifications of uh, food the two are pretty famous the lawful and the unlawful but the other, the other two are, you can say, a bit of further explanation to these two is that what's preferred for you and what's not preferred for you. So, tayyab and makru. And uh, you can say, the sense behind that is that, let's say, for example, if you're suffering from a fever and doctor says, don't eat this and don't eat that. Now, that particular food is 99% permissible for you, but it's not good for you at that particular point. 
So it says in the Holy Quran as well that Futayyab means that food which is preferred for you. It's good for you. It's not. It's lawful, but even in lawful, there are categories. So what's good for you, what's bad for you. So if you, you can say, if you have a tendency to gain weight, you should look after yourselves by eating food which is good for you, rather than eating food which you like the most. And plus, obviously, we need to have a balanced diet as well. And it says, as you said in the, uh, the quote of the, uh, the, uh, the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him as well, that the strong believer is preferred and more beloved to Allah compared to the weak believer. So it also says that, uh, signifies the fact that we need to keep ourselves fit and healthy at every time. Thank you very much for that. <coughs> I mean, I, I was uh, reading, uh, you know, we were mentioning cycling, um, and the third caliph mentioned that, uh, uh, you know, within the youth as well, uh, there should be 100,000 uh, cyclists. Um, uh, I, I was reading further uh, regarding the bike riding scheme, and it says that during uh, Shura, um, Shura is... Uh, you know, when the members of the Muslim community, various members, they get together for consultation. Mm. Um, so one such consultation was held on the 31st of March in 1973. And His Holiness, he said that cycling is an excellent form of exercise for maintaining good health. And he said that if one rode uh, a cycle slowly, one would be able to cover a distance of up to 100 miles a day. And he said the Amdiya Muslim Youth Association from all over Pakistan came to attend uh, this event on bicycles. And he said that if cycling became a habit when their need arose, our youth would immediately meet that need without waiting for other means of transport such as cars. And he said that on 19th of July 1973, during his visit to the UK, His Holiness gave the, the community the target of training 100,000 active cyclists within seven years. And the scheme has spread to various parts of the world. And on the occasion of the annual convention uh, in Benin in 2007, uh, 23 members from four regions around the country came on cycling on bicycles covering a different journey uh, of 117 kilometers to attend the annual convention. And in fact, um, even at the annual convention here in the UK, mm. we had a group from uh, from from Germany who mm. had cycled from Germany mm. to to the UK to the mm. annual convention. So that was um, mm. very interesting as well. And in fact, the um, the Emir of uh, of Germany, uh, Abdullah Wagesasa, the uh, the head of the community in Germany. He himself was the leader of the pack mm-hmm. who came with the, with the group. And uh, this group not only consisted of um, the Amdi Muslim Youth Association, but there were also missionaries, a handful of missionaries who were part of this group mm-hmm. who had come. So it just goes to show you how important it is uh, to look after one's physical health um, and Islam, it, gave, it lays down a huge importance that we should look after our physical health. And in fact, there's a narration that even the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he participated in a race with his wife, Hazrat Aisha, peace be upon her. And it is narrated that at once, 
um, he had beaten his wife in the race and in another narration it is written that Asit Aisha peace be upon her had beaten him in the race um, so with regards to walking um, Hazrat Mirza Nasir Ahmad the, the third caliph of the Amdi Muslim community he says it is written that he was a keen sportsman and he regularly took part in a variety of sports uh, from an early age and once he mentioned that uh, he enjoyed playing hockey and also what uh, he further says that also whatever I would get the chance I would participate in several other games such as football, volleyball, tennis, squash, um, mirudaba, uh, which says that a balancing game, gulidanda, a bat and a ball game, uh, kali paranka, a form of wrestling. And there were many streams near Kadian where I would go for swimming and I would regularly uh, went for long walks and they are an excellent form of exercise. Uh, some of these uh, exercises, I think, Brother Valid, only you would know. I'm not... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not... Uh, no, no, um, I'm vaguely familiar with them. Um, <laughs> one of the uh, drawbacks of advanced age is that you also lose uh, your memory. <laughs> so these uh, novel games, Mirudaba and Gulilanda, uh I seem to remember in the distant past. I never. I, I think uh, no. Mirudaba was a mystery to us. We tried to um, include it in one of the istamas okay. in the European istamas that were, that became quite fashionable during the 90s, and it was the current MTA chairman Umaridin Shams who was uh, the uh, the person who knew the rules and how to play it. But unfortunately, most of the participants didn't, so it didn't catch catch. Uh, uh, it wasn't. It didn't catch popularity. And and what what is it? What kind of game is it? It's a, it's a it's a game that is played in the in the field, and uh, and uh, as far as uh, what the objective is, that's still a mystery to me. <laughs> 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 and how you win and how you lose, but Shamasab knows, right? Uh, uh, but as I said, it wasn't. Uh, it uh, didn't catch on, and I think after the after one or two uh, ishtamas where we held, we had that uh, it was dropped. Guli danda we never really played. Uh, Kabaddi is also mentioned. Kabaddi was something that uh, His Holiness the Fourth Caliph enjoyed, uh, mm. and he was very good at it as well. Uh, he used to tell us, um, and uh, so we used to feature that on a regular basis at our Ishtamas and uh, uh, for certain exhibition matches uh, we would uh, especially invite him to observe and it's something that he very much enjoyed. In fact I remember even um, a few years back uh, I think maybe in 2018 uh, at the at our uh, annual convention for the Amdi Muslim Youth Association we had uh, we had that was one of our Kabaddi. highlight sports. Yeah, Kabaddi yeah, was one yeah. of our highlight sports. So uh, I, I don't know, Freed, if you if you remember that that uh, event or not. Um, I did see that, but it was only like me, as you can say, two three minutes. But I'm gonna explain what Kabaddi actually is. So basically, it's a mixture of you can say wrestling and a chasing game. So wherein there are five you can say opponents. We are 
they held, they hold their hands and they cannot you can say free themselves or they're shackled a bit then person runs in he has to tap one of them and then run to the you can say the boundary line if he crosses it in time well and good if the person chases him and grabs him from you can say the legs or anything and he stops him from doing that this is what he gains a point so this is what kabaddi actually is so it's a mixer of you can say chasing him and uh, wrestling okay great thank you for well, that very well explained <laughs> it's always been a mystery to me um in the uh, 80s or 90s uh it uh, also became quite popular here in england mm. and uh, matches used to be shown on channel 4 uh, on a weekly basis uh i did watch a few episodes but i never understood it as well as i understood it now from imam farid he's, he's explained it very succinctly and uh, very well so that's the that's the whole name right were you any good yourself no mm-hmm. looking at my physical strength no <laughs> no no uh, yeah. do you have to be well built to be able to be a good player or do you just have to be you know a bit um as you know as the slim a slim profile uh, serve you better because you can you can uh, move out of the grip of a person okay. well it depends you can say just like rugby uh-huh. there some people are dedicated, dedicated just to run mm. and some people are dedicated to you can say to stop the people from running so it goes both ways mm-hmm. so if you're a bit slim you're going to be quick with the running but <laughs> when it comes to stopping someone he will just drag you to the finish line mm-hmm. or something mm-hmm. so it goes both ways as mm-hmm. and in jamia this seven year training um is your physical aspect also emphasize the importance of uh, maintaining a uh, good f- uh, physical health is that oh, also yeah. something that you talk so basically the a lot of money is spent on you can say the physical exercise as well let's say they book uh, sports villages um, not the entire sports village but you can say football field and badminton regularly like three times a week and you can say two to, th- two to three pitches or you can say three to four courts for badminton so they lay a lot of stress on that plus they mm-hmm. have arrangements to you can say they have vans to you can say take students from the university to those you can say sports villages in order to accommodate them rather than you can say running or walking back it's a bit of a you can say uh, facility so mm. the facilities are there if you want to you can say exercise and you want to keep yourself fit but obviously if you have interest if you don't have interest then well mm. yeah that's the thing i mean one thing to note that within uh, the jamia of the uk there's a timetable for each student um and everyone has to follow that timetable and along with uh you know your studies your prayers there's a fixed slot of when you should be doing your sport um and it changes from uh, season to season sometimes it's one hour sports or it can even be one hour 30 minutes or it, it can be a lot more than that it can even be about, i think about yeah, in two summers you can say you can play for two hours two and a half because the day is so long that you you're going to be tired in the end of the day mm. so it it varies this so there's a specific timetable and for that uh slot you know they they have to they you know it's it's a must for them that they have to do some kind of sport at that particular time mm-hmm. okay right um we're approaching uh, the end uh, of this uh, broadcast um and it leaves us to um, basically uh, round off uh, what uh, we have covered uh we uh, began with a few news stories that were featuring 
in the wider media. And we focus our attention on the two topics that we have selected. One was on uh, King Charles, what are his views on Islam. And uh, it's quite revealing to find that uh, he has some very mature, uh, well-researched uh, uh, and uh, interesting views on Islam. Uh, and that is something that uh, is very much uh, welcome from uh, the new monarch of the country. Uh, we were uh, helped to understand this better by Imam Rahir Ahmed, who actually uh, gave us a wealth of information that uh, clearly indicated that uh, Islam has been current in the UK in one form or another since the 7th century. And uh, there have been monarchs that have uh, endeared themselves in one way or another with Islam. Uh, and how uh, one thing you mentioned, well, Queen Elizabeth was looking uh, towards the Ottoman Empire, uh, Muslims, uh, uh, during the uh, 17th and 16th century, when there was threat from uh, posed by the other big power, uh, in this area, that of Spain. Um, so very interesting facts uh, that uh, we were able to share from Imam Rahir Ahmed. Um, so that was uh, before the 8 o'clock news. Uh, after that, we looked at this uh, second of our main uh, topics, which is uh, which was about women and uh, how they are more obese than men because of certain uh, hormonal and genes uh, differences. Uh, we looked at that and uh, we were uh, given greater understanding of that from Professor Amtharuzak Michael. So that was basically the uh, subject matter of the uh, show. The producer was Farwam Mubesha, so uh, thanks to her for the uh, preparation of this um, uh, running order. And uh, Hannah and Neha, they were the researchers, thanks to them for uh, their, uh, their assistance. And uh, Muhammad Shafiq is uh, the engineer uh, who made sure that everything was running smoothly. So uh, thanks to uh, our listeners for joining us. And uh, we're fast approaching the news. Do join us again for the breakfast show between 7 and 9, Monday to Friday. Asalaamu Alaikum.